Good morning. Well, uh, last Sunday I was meant to be speaking and uh, wasn't able to because I was ill and had lost my voice. So I wasn't meant to be speaking today, but we switched things around. And um, I'm then uh, speaking at Lansdowne Church this evening, and then tomorrow I'm on holiday, so I won't be around the next couple of weeks. So today is kind of signing things off. I preached a couple of weeks ago about uh, winning the culture wars, and last week I was going to be doing the second part of that, um, which I could have done this morning, but actually kind of felt that moment's passed, and so I wanted today instead to speak from a psalm. One of the things that we do here at Gate- Gateway is that lots of us are involved in community Bible reading, where little groups of us are reading the same passage of Scripture day by day and sharing together, encouraging one another. And uh, each weekend there's a psalm as part of those readings, and normally, as we did this morning, we normally start our time together on a Sunday by reading part of the psalm that we've had for that weekend. And the psalm this weekend is Psalm 30, and uh, it's a great psalm to work our way through. So I want us to read Psalm 30 and then see what the Lord would say to us through that. It's on page 558 in these Bibles. I'll read the whole thing through, and then we'll break it down and uh, go through a couple of verses at a time. Psalm 30, a psalm, a song for the dedication of the temple of David. David, who was the great king of Israel and the great writer of songs, poems, psalms. He says this, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm, but when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Brilliant. This uh, psalm was written, as it says, for the dedication of the temple. Now, the dedication of the temple, the laying of the temple foundation stones and its building, its completion, was something that would only happen later, some years after this psalm had been written. But David was expectant. He was looking forward to having the temple of God built, and he was writing songs in preparation for that. He was expectant. And this psalm sums up what David has experienced in terms of the past faithfulness of God. It describes ways in which God has been faithful to David over the years, and it describes the present reality of the way that God is working in David's life, and it speaks of future hope for the blessing of God. And uh, those three things give a great pattern for worship. When we come into worship, as we've done this morning and as we'll return to in a moment, what we do is we come, we come expressing gratitude for the past faithfulness of God. We come 
describing the present reality of what God is working in our lives, and we come anticipating future blessing from God. That's what we do when we come, when we pray, and when we worship. And this is a dance song. You have turned my wailing, my mourning, into dancing. It's good to dance. Uh, One of the key kind of cultural things of the past 30 years has been the uh, dance music revolution. Electronic music, clubs, huge raves, dance music. But music's always been about dance, and this uh, psalm is about dance. Come and dance, David is saying. Dance in the presence of God. And this psalm gives us reason to dance. And you're even allowed to dance in church. Let's break it down. It should be good if we read it bits together and then I'll speak into it. Let's read the first three verses together again. I will exhort you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead You spared me from going down to the pit. This is David's story. This is his testimony. This is what has happened to him, that God has rescued David again and again. This has been true throughout David's life. When he was a shepherd boy looking after sheep in the fields, God rescued him. When lions and bears would come to attack the flock, God rescued him. And David, through the strength of the Lord, was able to prevail against them. When David first came into public prominence, when the giant Philistine Goliath was defying the armies of Israel. God rescued David. David was able to strike down Goliath. When King Saul, king of Israel, who was meant to be mentoring and shepherding David, actually became his enemy and sought to kill him, David was rescued again and again by the Lord. When David went into battle against his mortal enemies, the Philistines, again and again, the Lord rescued him. When David's son Absalom rebelled against him and tried to take the kingdom, God rescued him. David's testimony is that again and again, the Lord has rescued him. This is true also when David himself had done things which deserved of death. The great tragic moment of David's life is when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah murdered. David deserved to be punished with death because of that sin, but even then God rescued him and lifted him up and brought him out of the dead. And so David has experienced again and again physical rescue from death, but this is also true spiritually. He's been spiritually, emotionally, mentally rescued from death by the Lord. The Lord has not allowed David's enemies to gloat over him. It's a great line. You did not allow my enemies to gloat over me. What God has done instead is to glorify himself in David and through David. And so what David has experienced again and again is is resurrection. He's experienced spiritual healing. He's experienced life coming where there should have been death. Now, we don't know whether David wrote this psalm before or after he committed his terrible sin with Bathsheba, But whether it was before or after, the point holds that David knows what it is to be delivered from the power of sin, the power of death. And David was a great warrior. He's a fighter. He knew what it was to, as a boy, fight the lions and the bears and kill them. He knew what it was to 
fight the giant Goliath and overcome him. He knew what it was to stand firm when Saul was trying to have him killed. He knew what it was to go into battle against the Philistines and see the Lord's deliverance. But here in this psalm, what we see is David displaying his complete, his total dependence upon God. That David is not trying to be his own saviour. David knows that he needs help, he needs rescue, he needs deliverance, he needs to be lifted up from the grave, he needs to experience resurrection, and it is God who supplies that. And so David says, you did not let my enemies gloat over me. When I called you for help, you healed me. Again and again, God has, David has known the healing of God in his life, that rescue, that deliverance from physical enemies, that rescue from spiritual enemies, the deliverance from sin, deliverance from death, resurrection, life, again and again. And these verses are verses that all of us who know Jesus can sing as well. And actually what David describes here is now made even more powerfully effective for us because of the completed work of Christ. as a parallel set of verses in the letter to the Colossians in the New Testament, Colossians 2, it says this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. David in Psalm 40 describes how he has called out to the Lord for rescue and how God has delivered him from death. David says in the psalm that God has not allowed his enemies to gloat over him. And then we look at the work of Christ and what that has achieved for us. And we see that means for us resurrection life. You were dead, but now in Christ you are made alive. And you did have enemies, spiritual enemies, but now Jesus has disarmed them. And rather than our enemies gloating over us, Jesus has made a public spectacle of them. The whole situation has been reversed. And the way that Jesus did that was the completely unexpected, the completely topsy-turvy way of the cross. That on the cross, which was the most shameful and humiliating way to die, at that moment when it looked like it was Jesus being shamed, actually it was all the enemies ranged against us in the heavenly places, all the spiritual powers who'd want to do us down, actually they were being exposed and ridiculed and made a public spectacle of. The cross, which looks like defeat, becomes a triumph. It's the way of life. It's the way of liberty. It's the way of freedom. It's the way of rescue. It's the way of resurrection. Hallelujah. And so David can say to the Lord, you did not let my enemies gloat over me. David can say, you lifted me up from the grave. And for us now, we can look at Jesus and what he's done. We can look at the cross and we can say all the more, we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. We've been healed of our sin. And the enemies who were arranged against us have been humiliated by what Christ did at the cross. They have no victory. They have no power over us. And so what do we do? We should dance. We should dance for sins forgiven. And we should dance for resurrection promise. And we should dance for the defeat of our spiritual enemies and the promise of life in Christ now 
and forever. David dances at what God has done for him. How much more should we dance because of what we see Jesus has done for us? Let's read the next two verses, verses 4 and 5. Let's read together. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. What is God like, or what is the thing you imagine as God like? I think often, for those who don't really know God, there tend to be kind of two uh, contrasting and inaccurate pictures of what God is like. On the one hand, people can tend to think of God as someone who is distant and cold and harsh and judgmental, somebody you can't really want to get, you can't really get to know and somebody you wouldn't really want to get to know. Just this uh, somewhat scary power in the sky who is judging us the whole time. The other mistake that people make is to think that God isn't like that, but he's just kind of fluffy and vague and nice, a bit of an absent-minded grandfather-type figure. And neither of those pictures are true. What David describes here in this psalm gives us a much more accurate picture of what God is like. He is the God who gets angry, and he is the God who expresses favor. And that's very different from the picture of either a harsh God or a fluffy God. Now, God is holy. That means that God is utterly distinct, utterly pure, utterly uncorrupted, without any stain, blemish, pure, set apart, holy. And things that offend against his holiness do provoke his anger. And that is utterly right. That is utterly as it should be. And we struggle with this concept of God's righteous anger against impurity, but we know intuitively in other cases that anger is the right response. If a young child is abused, a right response is to be angry about the abuse. That's a intuitively feels right. Of course we should be angry if a child is abused because it is so evidently wrong. The right response is anger against this deed that has been done against the child. If a great work of art were just carelessly, deliberately defaced, that should produce anger because somebody is destroying something which is precious and beautiful and the response is one of anger. That's right. It just bubbles up. If we see, as we keep seeing at the moment, images of the oceans being polluted, that makes people angry and it should do because what is meant to be pristine and good becomes defiled and dirty. Those things produce anger just intuitively and that feels right because those things are right. Anger is the right response when things like that happen. Now, God is the one who is ultimately pure, ultimately holy. And so offense against him also should produce righteous anger. He's the most pure, the most holy. And so to defile God, to mar him, to, in a sense, pollute God is something which brings us under the anger of God. And to stand under God's anger, to stand under God's wrath, is a terrible thing. To know the anger of God is a terrifying thing. But what the psalm says here is that it is God's favor that is more enduring than his anger. 
God's anger burns against sin, but that burning of his anger is temporary, but forever we will know his favor. His anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. That's the contrast. What is God like? Yes, he does get angry against sin, but primarily he's a God of favor. He's a God of blessing. And this has been how God has always related to his people. Back in Numbers 7 in the Old Testament, there's a scene which describes the dedication of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent, a place where the people of Israel came to worship. It was the forerunner of the temple. And uh, before they had the temple, they had the tabernacle. And this psalm is for the dedication of the temple. Numbers 7 describes the dedication of the tabernacle. So they're parallel kind of passages. Now, when the tabernacle was dedicated, when it was first set up and set aside as a place of worship for God, as part of that dedication of the temple, 12 goats were sacrificed to pay for the sin of the people of Israel. But then the passage goes on to describe other offerings which were brought, which were not brought to pay for sin, but were brought to express worship and fellowship with God and joy. And that offering included 12 silver dishes filled with flour and oil, 12 golden dishes filled with incense, 12 bulls, 72 rams, 72 lambs, 24 oxen, and 60 goats. You've got 12 goats who are offered as a sin offering, and then you've got this huge number of other animals and precious things which are offered as sacrifices of praise and worship and fellowship with God. The contrast is there's this sacrifice for sin, which is important. Sin has to be dealt with, and 12 goats are sacrificed to, uh, to, to, to uh, deal with that, to represent dealing with sin. But then you've got this much, much, much bigger offering for, which speaks about the favor of God. Sin is recognized and compensated for, but the offering is massively weighted towards a sacrifice of praise and worship and friendship and fellowship and favor. And that's amazing. That's what God is like. What is God like? He's the one who looks on us with favor. Yes, sin has to be dealt with, but the much bigger part of the story really is this huge thing about the favor of God which rests on his people. And the glorious good news for us is when we come to Christ Jesus, we recognize him and we see his sacrifice for sin, that complete and final sacrifice for sin. We see it's dead, it's finished, it's defeated. Our enemies no longer gloat over us. Jesus has dealt with it. And what are we then brought into? We're brought into a relationship with God which is full of abundant favor. Abundant favor. His anger lasts for a moment. His favor lasts for a lifetime. And so let's dance because of the favor of God. Next two verses. Let's read verses 6 and 7. When I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Now, David knows that true security is found in God, but he also experienced times when it felt like God's face was hidden from him. Times when it felt like he didn't experience the presence of God in the way in which he was used to doing. Now, why does that happen? 
Sometimes it can be because the Lord is uh, putting us through a time of testing to strengthen us. most extreme example of that we see in the Bible is the story of Job, who went through a time of incredible loss, but through that was strengthened and then experienced incredible favor from God. Sometimes I think the Lord can kind of hide his face from us in order to get us to pursue him all the more. And there are probably, probably for all of us who've known the Lord for any length of time at all, we've, we've experienced moments like this when it just feels like the, the face of the Lord isn't quite so clear to us as it has been at other times. And that can be a, a disturbing and disorienting experience. Why am I not experiencing the, the presence of God in quite the way that I used to, or the way that I normally do? Where is the Lord's face? And what are we meant to do if we experience times like that? Well, we are to call on him. God loves us to pursue him. If you're in a time where you feel that you're not quite in connection with God, as perhaps you have been in the past, what are you to do? You're to call on the Lord. You're to pursue him and ask his favor once more. But there can also be times when God's face seems hidden to us because of our sin. We're forgiven we're set free, but we can still fall into sin. This is what David himself did when David fell into that terrible sin with Bathsheba. And when that happened, the thing that he was most concerned about was that he would no longer experience the presence of God. This is what he says in Psalm 52, in his great penitential psalm. He says, Lord, do not cast me from your presence. The thing that David most feared when he, when he sinned was that he would no longer experience that sense of God's closeness, God's intimacy, God's presence, God's favor. And if we sin and as a consequence we don't feel the presence of God in quite the same way, that's meant to be a warning to us. It's meant to be a warning to us to get out of our sin and come back to the grace of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Now the irony is that it can be when we're feeling most secure in the Lord that we can be most vulnerable to sinning and falling away from the Lord. This is, seems to be what David expresses here. When David felt secure, he said, I shall never be shaken. It was in that place where he felt most secure, actually, he was particularly vulnerable. And it's when we feel particularly secure, actually, that's when we can be most vulnerable to temptation coming and tripping us up. This is what it says in the letter to the Corinthians in the New Testament, a parallel passage. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Be on your guard. If you're feeling secure... That's the very moment at which you can get overconfident and temptation can sneak in and you can get tripped up. Look to God. And when temptation comes, take the exit. This scripture in 1 Corinthians tells us that, that whenever temptation comes, God always provides a way out. There's always a way out for us. You don't have to follow through on the temptation which is luring you. There's always a way out. That was true for David with Bathsheba. There were many points at which God gave him an exit door, which he chose not to walk through, and instead chose to walk on in his sin. And for us, when we fall into sin, it's the same. There's always an exit door. God always provides an exit door, 
And if we choose to go in our sin, that's not because God hasn't provided a way out. It's because we have become hard-hearted. It's like in modern buildings. It's like here, every building has to have fire escapes. You come in one door, but there's always multiple ways to get out in case of emergency. And if you're tempted, God provides a fire escape. He does. There's always a door to go out. Use it. Now, this is true for each one of us personally. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been delivered from sin. You've been rescued. Your enemies have been made a public spectacle of. Sin no longer has any power over you. You don't need to fall into sin. God will always provide a way out. So let's personally be on our guards, but also corporately as a congregation, let's be on our guards. We've been in a, I think, a blessed season the last few months. We've had so many ways in which God has favored us. We have been stepping into fresh areas of ministry, new opportunities for us in terms of proclaiming the gospel in different parts of the community around us than we've had before. And we've had wonderful times in the Lord's presence. And it's just felt the last couple of months that God has been blessing us and blessing us and blessing us. In such a time, let's be on our guards and let's stand secure in Christ. Because sin can come in, temptation can come, you can avoid the exit, do harm to yourself and also the whole body of Christ can be damaged. And if you feel that the Lord's face is hidden, whether that's because he's just bringing you through a time of testing or whether it's because of your sin, what do we do? We call on him. We dance into his presence. We dance away from sin. We dance into the favor of God again. We don't trust in ourselves. We don't find security in our own ability, but we look to him to hold us firm. And hold us safe. Let's read verses 8 to 10. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. At the beginning of the psalm, verse 3, David says, God hasn't let me go into the pit. Here in verse 9, he says, don't let me go into the pit. The reality is that there are always pits to fall into, and we need to avoid them. But sometimes we don't. And what happens, what are you to do if you fall into a pit? You're to shout, to shout for help. And how do you call out for help? You call out for help by the mercy of God. God. If you're in a pit, the point of the pit is our powerlessness to get out of it. If you're caught in a pit, you need someone to help you, and the one who can help us is the Lord. We're to call on him and look for his rescues. Now, there might be any number of reasons why you get caught in a pit. It might be because you've done something wrong. It might be that you have blundered into sin, that rather than taking the fire escape, you've blundered into sin and you've fallen into a pit. It might be because Things have been done to you, that somebody has sinned against you, and that's thrown you into a pit, like Joseph when he was thrown into a pit by his brothers. Or it might be you're in a pit because of an accident of nature, through ill health or something. You just feel that you're in a pit. Understanding the reason why you're in a pit is important, but the main issue when you're in a pit is that you are in a pit. And you want to get out. And how are you going to get out? You get out by shouting for help and someone coming to rescue. 
And the Lord is the one who is able to rescue. He's the one who's able to put a ladder down, grab hold of you, and get you out of that pit. We need to see the bigger picture here too. David says, what is gained if I am silenced? If I go down into this pit, Lord, what's going to be the gain? And the reality is that if you're in a pit, everyone else loses out. If you're in a pit, you're losing out because a pit is not a pleasant place to be. But everybody else loses out as well because if you're down in the pit, we can't hear your praises to God. You are not operating as part of the community of God's people as you should be. Now, this psalm is all about David's experience of God, but it's also about the community that David is part of. And if you feel that you're in a pit at the moment, whether that's a pit of your own making or a pit that somebody else has thrown you into or a pit which is just a kind of an accident of nature, we need you out of the pit because we need to be together praising the Lord and dancing in his presence. And if you're stuck down in a pit, you can't dance. So we need you out. What are we going to do? We need to call on the Lord and ask him to help us dance out of the pit. I know some of you this morning are in pits, and some of it is your own making, and for others it's because other people have thrown you in a pit, and for some of you it's just stuff that has happened, accidents in nature. And my prayer this morning, it'd be great to pray for you personally later, is that God would, you'd know God throwing down a ladder and lifting you out, and you'd be able to dance out of that pit and take your place again amongst the community of God's people. Last two verses, let's read these together. Verse 11. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. David's experience here, how he finishes the psalm, his wailing, his mourning has been to turn to dancing. The sackcloth is off, and that's a good feeling. Imagine how unpleasant it would be to wear sackcloth. I personally have an extreme hatred of any kind of clothing item which is at all scratchy. That's my number one criterion for clothes. They have to be comfortable. I'm always cutting labels out of shirts and stuff because I hate the way the label just scratches. I can't abide scratchy clothes at all. If you were in sackcloth, it would be miserable what David knows. He's know, he's know what it is to be clothed in sackcloth, and he knows what it is for the Lord to take the sackcloth off and to bring him into freedom and bring him into dance. And this isn't just David working himself up into it. What David recognizes here is that this is a work of the Lord's. It is God who gives him strength. It is God who gives him joy. This isn't just the power of positive thinking. This isn't you doing 10 minutes of mindfulness exercises every morning to set yourself up for the day. This is the Lord who is giving David strength. This is the Lord who is giving him joy. Now, we need to look to God for these things. Where we're weak, look to him for his strength. Where we're miserable, Look to him for joy. And what David experiences here, what he expresses here, this taking off the sackcloth and the clothing with joy and his heart being full of praise and dance in his feet, what he describes here anticipates how things will be eternally for those of us who know Christ Jesus. Revelation 21, verses we often read, it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself 
will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The sackcloth has been taken away. Clothing of joy has been put on. There's a dance party going on. And this is what we anticipate, an eternal dance party. And so we might as well get into the habit now. We want others to join with us as well. This is what we're all about at Gateway Church. We want other people who don't yet know Christ to come into that relationship with him, to come into a dance party with God, the God who is angry for a moment but whose favor lasts for a lifetime. That's what we're looking for. Come and join in the dance party with God. And what we dance for, the reason we dance is because of the past faithfulness of God, all the things that he has done. We dance because of the present reality that God is at work amongst us. And we dance because we have this future hope of eternal blessing. So let's be like David and let's dance. Let's dance the summer away. Amen? Let me pray. Then Grace and I are going down to our other congregation, Ashley Road. And I'll leave you here to dance with John and the band. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for what you have done for us. Thank you for your past faithfulness. Thank you for Jesus, Jesus for the victory you've won that on the cross you did turn what it looked like defeat into victory. And where it looked like you were being humiliated, actually you were exposing all the spiritual enemies who would oppose us, exposing them to shame that we might come into freedom. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who do feel they're in a pit. Lord, I pray for those who are in a pit of their own making because they didn't take the exit sign that you provided. I pray that they would, Lord, even if it feels like they've known your anger, I pray that would be for a moment and they might come back into a place of favor which lasts for a lifetime. Lord, I pray for those who are in a pit because somebody else has thrown them there. Lord, I pray that rather than staying in that pit in a place of uh, bitterness and brokenness, that you in your grace would come and heal mend, restore, lift them out, and bring them into life. And Lord, I pray for those who are in pits, which just seem to be accidents of nature. Lord, those who are struggling with mental health issues and physical health and other things and just feel down in a pit and unable to get out, I pray that this morning they would know tenderness of your embrace, the, your, your, the grace of God with them, the, the mercy of a God who shows such favor to us, enveloping them. And drawing them back into that place of wholeness and healing in you. Lord, I pray you do some miracles this morning of lifting people out of pits and putting their feet back on the solid ground that is Christ and bringing them into a place of dancing in your presence. Lord, I pray you keep us from feeling that we're standing secure in our own power. Lord, we so, want to be so aware of that. Beware when you feel you're standing strong lest you fall. Lord, I pray that we would keep looking to you. And we keep dancing in your presence because you're so good to us. I ask your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's dance. Let's worship him. Amen. We'll respond together. Well, I'd love us to, to go. So we're going to spend a bit of time just looking. Um, uh, yes, you can continue standing. That's fine. Great. Um, uh, we're going to look at the, the, the greatness of, of who God is. Um, and then we're going to have a bit of time to work through. Maybe you are going through a, a difficult time. 
um, to kind of bring that before God and then move to a place of celebration. Um, that's where I see us going. God may lead us in a di- different direction, which is absolutely fine. Um, as I said earlier, it's fantastic to uh, hear all the testimony of what God is doing in our lives. If you have anything else to share, um, if you could just come and see Paul over here, and then we'll be able to feed in um, as we go through, through the morning. Um, let's just be open to wherever God leads. Let's come to this place of, of celebrating all that God has done.